Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, everybody. This is your regular host, Kimberly Bomani, here back live doing episode 58 of the Independent Intel Podcast. Um, a special one, a solo dolo one, where we're going to talk about the Deion Sanders exit prime time is no longer the head coach of the Jackson State University Tigers. He is taking his talents to the Colorado Buffs. Um, I've been waiting all week to do this conversation because I think it's one full of nuance, full of important uh, criteria that I think need to be addressed to provide a blanket statement towards why he left and why individuals have these specific emotions and are they deserved are they not things of that nature um this episode was actually recorded yesterday with the guest um his audio was not able to come through so i've decided to do a rerun of this segment because i do think it needs to come out from an individual like myself considering i am a hbcu grad actually went to jacket state university in 2016 and i am a part of the class of 2020 so I'm really going to hold it down for the community in itself. This should be a very interesting, insightful, and intriguing conversation. So I hope all listeners tune in and give it a good, enjoyable ride because this is going to be a good one. So I guess everybody wants to know, what was my initial thoughts when Coach Prime took the Power 5 job and left Jackson State behind? Well, to be perfectly honest, I was not shocked. If you know Deion Sanders' track record dating back to when he was coaching his sons at Trinity Christian High School in the Texas area, he always had aspirations and pursuits to be a Power 5 coach. Before he ever took the Jackson State job, he made an attempt to coach, well, to try to get the Arkansas football job as the head man. And arguably, and this was around 2020, I might add, his friend Jerry Jones put in, in my, in my opinion, a good word to kind of put Dion into the ring to be considered for the position before the Razorbacks went with Sam Pittman during the year 2020. Um, following that, he made a push for the Florida State job. This is when they were in the running to find a new voice for the program before they went with Mike Norvell, who just hit gold in his third year with the program. Florida State this season went 9-3 and are eligible obviously have a chance to finish the year with a 10-win season and last but not least a lot of people do not know this about Dion. last season this was like his first full season with the program following the COVID year um midway through the season he put his hat in the ring for the TCU job in 2021 that ultimately went to Sonny Dykes who's doing a fabulous job as a Louisiana native I know what Sonny I know who Sonny Dykes is and what he represents considering he used to coach the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs program and currently, TCU is 12-1, and one, and they are in the college football playoff. They'll be playing the last week of December. What a great year that they've had, and sounds like a pretty good hire that the TCU program made. So all this to say, providing full context about Dion's journey towards getting the Power 5 job of his dreams, I'm not surprised that he took the first thing available to him within that sector and welcomed it with open arms. Now, He's taking arguably one of the worst Power 5 job openings on the college football market. Let's be real. It's a five-year, $29.5 million deal, which is, I think, the highest contract that Colorado's football program has ever showed out to a new incoming head coach. Um, and he's here to kind of pick up a program that this season went 1-11. and 11. Now, the Colorado Buffs, since their move to the Pac-12, have a combined record of 48-91. and 91 since the conference move and have only had one winning record in 11 years. That's when they were 10 and four. And even during that season in 2016, they did not win 
their bowl game. So throughout their 11-year run, residing within the Pac-12 conference, they haven't won a bowl game, and they've had one winning season. So Dion is a very calculated individual. He always wanted a Power 5 job, of course. And I don't think Colorado is the Power 5 job that he truly is destined to be within for an extensive long period of time. I think this is also, whether people like it or not, a stepping stone to possibly, um, if you let other people tell it, the SEC, because that is where he truly wants to go, according to people that are kind of connected within Dion's journey towards Power 5, um, how do I call it, uh, supremacy in his eyes. Utopian. You know, I'm just trying to find the perfect terminology, the perfect words. Can't really come up with it right now. But, look, he took this job knowing at Colorado, he's got, bro, like, he's got, every, the world is his oyster. It's a program desperate for change. It's a program destined for some type of leadership and awakening. And he could provide that considering the connects that he has, the recruiting chops, and such a great, he's one of the premier motivational speakers in the league when it comes to rallying his program to go out on the football field every day and do what they can do at a high level. Now, I don't think he's the greatest X's and O's coach. He understands that, which is why during his time at Jackson State, those two and a half years, he made sure to surround himself with a staff that allowed him to kind of micromanage what he does well while also in the same breath allow the coaching tree around him to get the best out of the key players on his squad most importantly which offensive coordinator can come in and maximize the talent of my son who's the qb1 call him qb2 because his numbers two should do sanders we're going to tap into that a little bit later so all that to say before we move to the next segment of this conversation not surprised he took the Power 5 job. It was always something he was aiming for even before he got to Jackson State, which is why I knew when he came to Jackson State, it was not going to be a long stay because JSU was only a stepping stone, stepping stone towards Power 5 world, and he was trying to get within the Power 5 world before he ever paid his dues as a college coach at the collegiate level. And they told him, yo, you're not qualified because you don't have the degree, things of that nature. And Jackson State, I think, helped him get towards qualification. Where on the street is the community in Jackson helped him get his degree that he was lacking to be a power five coach at the FBS level at Tougaloo, which I've been to the Tougaloo campus. It's not that supremely for it's around the area of Mississippi, while also allowing him to have the level of success that he had at Jackson State because Jackson State had to give him an opportunity when nobody else is really looking for him. So whether people want to acknowledge it or not, JSU paved the huge um alleyway for Dion to get to where he is right now with the buffs because they presented him the opportunity to coach at a college level that no one else was giving to allow him to pad his resume to get to where he needed to go while also pulling resources from other institutions to make sure Dion was qualified for that position that he ever so wanted down the line so that HBCU community from Jackson State to Tougaloo played a huge part in making sure Dion was secure with what he needed to be secured with to get to the walk of life that he needed to. So the next question that I think everybody has been asking and saying and projecting and then other non-HPCU alumni are trying to tap in and be like, well, you guys are saying this, da-da-da-da-da. Let's, let's get the question out the window. Is Dion a sellout for taking an FBS Power 5 job at the expense of leaving what he constructed at an FCS HBCU and Jackson State University? I'm going to be perfectly honest. To me, he was not a sellout because I never bought what he was selling. 
and what he was selling at that time upon getting the JSU job. He vowed to level the playing field for HBCUs, advocated for college football players to go back home and make it amongst their people. So for him to abandon that dream in two years, not just unfulfilled, but taking the same Power 5 opportunity he frowned upon other college players from FCS HBCU level from doing is not just hypocritical, but very artificial to say the least. Now, there are individuals that bought what Dion was selling. When he came in, around the time he took the Jackson State job, the black community was really. We're going through the pandemic, COVID-19, it was taking a lot of our people's lives. The George Floyd situation magnifying the horrific atrocities that police brutality has done to the African-American community sector, not just during that time period, um, not even during that last decade, if you incorporate uh, you know, the Trayvon Martin situation and um, the Mike Brown stuff in, in St. Louis in that area. But in the past century or so, really, if we're going to go all the way back, maybe at the tail end of Jim Crow when we started to introduce um, the possibility of black people being incorporated into white mainstream society during the civil rights era, that's where police brutality in my eyes took off to an extreme level going from the clan sheets to the blue police uniforms. But all that being said, Dion saw a perfect opportunity where a black community in Jackson was vulnerable, looking for their savior to kind of elevate them with the guise of, yo, I can bring prominence, respectability, and I can provide revolutionary change by being the coach of your football program. Now, I'm going to be honest for the people that naively think sports is a great way to lead a revolutionary movement. It is not long-term or sustainable to think that mindset as profitable towards revolutionary change. I think sports does lay the foundation towards allowing a huge sector of society to understand the atrocity that's going on in the world because everybody of every culture, for the most part, tunes into sporting activities, especially on the national level. So that allows the audience to hear the atrocities going on throughout the world so they can be aware and then from there, they kind of decide, hmm, do I want to do in-depth research to find truly what the big fuss is about? And then from there, do I want to invest my time, energy, money, uh, tenacity into a full grassroots movement that moves beyond the TV sector, the TV stations? That's up to them. But what I'm saying all that to say is if you truly believe Deion Sanders was going to bring revolutionary change for all HBCUs that are wallowing through systemic issues through coaching football in Jackson. You fell for the trick, but just because you fell for the trick because you didn't know no better doesn't mean I can tell you how you should or shouldn't feel. All right. I know better. So I never bought what he was selling, but a lot of vulnerable individuals did, which gave Dion the power of my eyes to kind of do what he wanted to do within the FBS or FCS rather program of Jackson State University unabated and unchecked. Because when a lot of people were kind of saying during that time period, he's not in it for the right reasons, whether it was me, whether it was my boy Scotty, whether it was Bomani Jones early on in the process, people weren't really trying to hear them because it's like, nah, look what he's look what he said, look what he's doing. We're living in um, the golden age, the good times. Let us let us soak. But then when he leaves and in the process of leaving, leaves behind um, a lot of unanswered questions, unfulfilled promises and slander to the city that he worked for, it provides a crude awakening to the fact that. Didn't really give an F about what you were saying. Didn't really give an F about the community in general. It was all about him. Now, the hypocrisy for Dion. Because, look, Dion, I knew Dion was capping. He's Mr. Capology. He's Coach Cap. I get it. 
All right. He's great at selling a dream and filling it up with um, oversaturated religious commentary that really, really gets the black community going because we're on the more religious people in this country. And we utilize religion to get through some very tough times in our community's history. But if you look past all that and understood what he is, you know, if you look up the origin of Deion Sanders and what he represents, it's all about him. And he's willing to, cold thing to say, but it's facts. He's willing to sacrifice people he doesn't have a personal attachment to, as well as people that he does, such as loved ones, to get what he needs, to get what he truly desires. Whether it's power, whether it's more money in his pockets, things of that nature. You see this a lot from celebrities in capitalistic societies, which is why I don't put a lot of pressure, onus, or responsibility on every celebrity to be outspoken for what their community or what their country or what society is going through. Because I know at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, 85 to 90% of them, are looking out for the well-being of themselves. And do that. Just don't come up to me and sell me a BS dream. And then when you don't follow through and I call you out on it, say I'm anti-people. No, you are. Now, let's dive into the hypocrisies of Deion Sanders. Um, I remember when FAMU edge rusher Isaiah Land entered his name into the transfer portal before the start of the 2022 college football season. The reason why Isaiah Land did it was because during that time at FAMU, um, the year prior, their best defensive player, Marquise Bell, went undrafted. And not only did Marquise Bell go undrafted, he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl, which raised Willie Simmons' eyebrows to the point where he went on Twitter and was kind of asking, yo, Senior Bowl, what's up? Like, he was arguably one of the top five safeties in all of FCS, and he never got a nod. The Senior Bowl provided some weird um, explanation that, to this day, I don't remember. And the main reason why I don't remember is because it didn't provide any, in my eyes, confirmative uh, rebuttal that I could kind of walk away from and be like, you know what, that's fair. I don't remember because I, I thought it was BS at the time. I still think it was BS now. Isaiah Land saw that. Best defensive player from his program the year prior. Not get drafted when a lot of people felt like he was a lock. You know, and he was like, well, I got I to gotta look out for myself because the next year coming up, I'm going to be the best defensive player on this team because the year prior, he won the Buck Buchanan Award for the best defensive player. Um, And although he won the award, I still thought Marquise Bill was the better defender out of the two. But anyway, coming into the next year, Isaiah Land was the reigning defensive player of the year in the FCS. And he's looking out for himself in the context of I got to maximize whatever position I can for me to ensure I get drafted in the league because my goal is to go pro. And I don't know if FAMU can allow me to do that because they just had a supreme talent go undrafted. Now, come to find out, according to Scotty, you have some insiders um, in the HBCU landscape. He said off-the-field issues held Marquise Bell back, but I've seen plenty of guys with off-the-field issues still get drafted at the FBS level. So not really trying to hear that, especially in the NFL where then they then the Buffalo Bills draft punter, um, the punter from San Diego, his name Matt Ariaza, the punt guy, knowing the sexual assault situations he was going through that were pending charges that were proven um that aren't gonna be uh, criminal. That doesn't mean he didn't do it, but the point I'm trying to make is that hasn't stopped the NFL from drafting a guy that they feel is talented enough to join their team, no matter what legal situation they're going through. But there was my guy, Light on Sports. Love him to death. He's one of my early um guests that I had on my podcast, really setting a revolutionary movement within the HBCU circuit, covering FCS, Group of Five Sports, all, all things of that nature. 
he posted Lance entering the transfer portal on Instagram, on his IG page. And Dion's IG profile went into the comment session and commented how ashamed he was at Isaiah Lamb for making such a bad decision, trying to dissuade him. And I'm going to provide the full quote to give you full context of what Dion was truly saying. Sanders says towards the post about Lance's decision, this is flat out wrong. You go in the portal thinking you can't go pro from an HBCU? Well, a few went yesterday because during that time, Lamb made the decision the day after the draft. And over 20 went from FCS schools. Be the change that we all desire. Don't run from the challenge. Willie Simmons is a great coach and does an amazing job with exposing his kids and preparing them. I pray he changes his mind and goes back to FAMU because is it no sure thing you're going to get the reps, exposure, and recognition somewhere else. Just because it looks green doesn't mean it's grass. Now, aspects of Dion's uh, commentary about Lance's decision isn't wrong, but I do have a few issues with the commentary nonetheless, besides the fact that looking back at it now, what's the date? December 9th, 1.21 p.m. How hypocritical is this situation? But look, Dion, number one, I don't like a human being telling another human being what they should or should or shouldn't do with their life publicly. Like, I, I don't really enjoy that. I think this is a conversation where if we're close, like friends, family, you're really caring about the individual's well-being. You do this offline in a private manner. And even then, when you do that, it's up to them to kind of decide what they want to do with their life. You really can't convince a grown man what to do with the well-being of his livelihood going forward. You could give him advice. You could say, hey, man, I don't know. You know how they be type stuff. But at the end of the day, it's up to him to make that decision. And going super hard on him for looking out for the well-being of himself, when Deion Sanders, your track record, even before you moved on to Colorado, you've always been Team Deion. you always going to look out for the well-being of you. And, you. and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't like and would even go so far as to condemn or ignore if somebody's like, Deion, bro, you, you shouldn't uh, – be trying to get a head coaching job at Jackson State. You need to pay your dues to be an assistant at, you know, Benedict College or some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would be like, that's a below me. So there's that. Also, don't run from the challenge. You know, this reminds me of when Damian Lillard was clowning Paul George um, a few years ago on Instagram saying, y'all chumps run from the grind. Y'all need to stay here and, I guess, fight through the struggle of sports. Look, man, the sports world... It's not real life. That's elements of real life, but in the context of real life, it's not real life. And, well, I'm a backpedal. I don't think that's a great perspective to say. So here's what I'll say. Sports is a business. And in business, two things are true. From two, you know, individuals involved within the business structure. You have the governor the owner of the team who's going to look at the well-being of his franchise, whether that means I'm going to trade somebody, I'm going to sign them, I'm going to cut them, I'm going to uh, sell this team to somebody else so I can get the most bang for my buck long-term to secure the well-being of my family moving forward. You know, the the governor, the owner of these corporations, they always look out for the well-being of themselves. They don't follow this ethical code of you need to do it like this, like that 100% of the time. A lot of them damn near don't follow it 20% of the time. So they're looking out for the well-being of themselves because, you know, this is an entertainment industry. Cash in when your industry, when your entertainment company is super hot in the industry. That's one thing. And players have mimicked the same 
ideology for themselves by, yo, if I have an opportunity to get the most bang for my buck in this contract deal, I'm going to hold out if I need to, to get my bread. If I got all the bread that I need and I need to ensure that I get the rings because that's the only thing missing for my career, I need the rings, let me go to the best organization that can get me close to a championship. These are the type of mentalities that people that are literally in the business operate under. So when I see guys like Lillard, when I see guys like Sanders who are involved in the industry and they start talking like fanatics who aren't tapped in to the nuances of what it means to struggle day in and day out, to achieve greatness day in and day out in sports, you kind of seem like an idiot. And I'm saying all that to say is don't run from the challenge. Bro, this isn't. Land isn't four, and his parents isn't telling him, yo, don't give up from uh, doing the, how do I put it? You know, when you're growing up, your parents are like, yo, you don't need to give up. You always need to finish through what you need to do um, because it builds character. Well, he's a grown man, and during his time, at that time with a fam, you, Isaiah Land, the year prior, was a Buck Buchanan Award winner. I'd say he didn't run from the challenge. He's within the FAMU football program who just, at that time last year, made the transition to the SWAC. They won nine games. They were in the playoffs. They lost the playoffs pretty badly, but they were in the playoffs. He was the focal point of the team. He didn't run away from the grind of FAMU. He excelled. And if he felt like his chapter with FAMU was done and he was ready to move on, he has every right to do so because it's sports. The people up top aren't going to look out for you. As much as your teammates care about you, they're really not going to be able to look out for you long term because they got to look out for themselves. And the coaching staff, as much as they say they may love you and they appreciate you and as much that you may be in their corner and maybe their um, son from another father for the rest of their lives, they're going to also look out for the well-being of their careers because their jobs are finite and their careers at times be on the line. Well, I got to look out for his. So when I hear a grown man who's a coach of a college football program, who prior to coming to Jackson State had heavy intentions to go P5. And we all know if, the P, if any P5 job um, did what Colorado did, which is, yo, we'll make you the highest paid in our conference. One of the highest paid in our conferences. One of the highest paid in school history. And when you come here, you have full control of the football program. Bro's going to run from the challenge of coaching Jackson State to achieve the best situation for him. I've seen a lot of people online say, why y'all mad at Dion for looking out for himself? Well, I literally have a quote right here where he's literally mad at Isaiah Lamb for entertaining looking out for himself. And I thought Lamb's response was the perfect response for this situation. And I think he said it to the Tallahassee Democrat, if I want to add. I think this is where I got this quote from. His response to Dion going so hard on him for even entertaining going P5 because he had offers from LSU, Georgia, to Auburn, to name a few. Lance response, I didn't care for it. His players are taken care of as if they're in the FBS. If we, we being FAMU, were in the same position as Jackson State players, then he could say that. And he's right. And ironically enough, guess what happened when Isaiah Land decided to come back to FAMU? First few games of the year. Um, No, he didn't play the first game of the year. And his eligibility was in question because FAMU lost the paperwork that had the certain amount of had the amount of credit certain players on their team had so they were able to qualify to be eligible to play in 2022. Now, fam, you got the situation resolved and these guys were able to play and the Rattlers finished the season 9 and 2 once again. But 
Isaiah Land decided to stay loyal to FAMU because they gave him an opportunity, and it almost came to bite him in the butt because management up top at the HBCU institution wasn't on their P's and Q's. It almost had this man miss a whole season of football. So Dion's out here preaching, you need to, you need to, you need to. And if he would have followed, and by almost following his terminology, and Lance says he didn't. He was looking, he basically did what was best for him. He didn't give a really a crap about what Dion was really saying. But if he would have followed to a T what Dion was saying, it almost could have burned him. I'm glad he didn't. But that's why at the end of the day, you can't always listen. At the end of the day, you need to decide what's best for you. You know? Um, you can listen to people's think pieces, people's perspectives, people's own personal opinions, maybe due to the fact that they were in a similar situation as well. But all in all, in the end, you have to maximize the well-being of yourself. In order to do that, you got to choose the best situation for you. Because guess what? Nobody else is. Now, as an adult. Now, when you were a kid, your family, for the most part, said, we're going to look out for you by choosing the best situation we deem is for you. But we've seen historically as you grow up, sometimes you might look back and regret. Like, yeah, I know my parents said they were looking out for me, but I honestly felt like at that time, I really was rocking with this situation a little bit more. Classic, what if I was able to kind of dictate where I wanted to go at that point in my life? Maybe things could have turned different. So Lance, a grown man, I'm glad he made his grown decision without getting, um, how do I put it, swindled by Dion's passionate opinion that currently right now is very hypocritical. And he looked that was for him. So, but Dion, <laughs> I'm going to be just as petty because in front of my notes, man, I kind of read you for filth. Um, Dion ran from the challenge. I'm going to be fair. Dion ran from the challenge of bringing HBCUs back to national prominence because you can't conduct such a decree in two years. I know a lot of people online are saying, well, he did what he had to do at the HBCU. Um, Y'all could just pick up and run with it. We're going to dive into that standpoint as well moving forward in this podcast because I want to go in on how ridiculous such a statement is. The amount of trust, the amount of atrocities done to many HBCU programs nationally is too elongated and systematic to achieve in such a short span, which is why Dion ran from the grind, violating the same standpoint that he brought to land to deter him from leaving leaving fan. Now, before I just leave um, this segment and dive into the next one, I want to say two things, right? Because, you know, going in on Prime a little bit, but I want to give him a little bit of an out, right? I think Prime went this hard because Willie Simmons is his guy. And as much as I don't think Dion did a very good job at highlighting the prominence of other HBCUs, like I don't think he did that really well at all. I'm not saying he was supposed to. You got to look out for the well-being of your team. But he had favorites in the SWAT coaching circle. He rocked with Fred McNair, and I don't know if that was because Fred McNair has a biological tie with his brother, Steve McNair. So he respects the greatness of Steve. So automatically you meet his brother. You think his brother's cool. Cool. Brother's in a good place with me. He rocks with Willie Simmons. I don't really know his historical tie with Willie Simmons, but he really rocked with Willie Simmons off rip. And he truly messed with Vincent Dancy because he went, came to Valley. He saw the lack of funding Valley had, and he saw how passionate Vincent Dancy was for football that he truly Rock with what he represented as a man and as a coach to the point where, I think just recently, yesterday, he brought Vincent Dancy to Colorado with him to join his staff as a defensive assistant and safety coach. And I'm really happy for Dancy, bro. He deserves it. I hope he gets the experience that he needs there working with Prime. 
for however long Prime is at Colorado, and potentially maybe he can go back to whether it's the FCS level, maybe even get an FBS coaching level job in a more stable football program than Valley was. And it's not to say Valley didn't have the players. They didn't have the dogs, but they just didn't have the economical support within that community. But so he rocked with Simmons. So I think because he rocked with Willie Simmons, he was really trying to dissuade Land because he didn't want Simmons's one of Simmons' best players to leave his program and cripple him in the process. So I think he's really looking out for his guy more so than Isaiah Land, the player, which is kind of shitty. But I think that was the true reason of why he was going that hard. But I'm going to play Prime's PR. If I was Prime's PR guy, I would have told him to say this about Isaiah Land's decision. So he wouldn't look as bad of a hypocrite as he is right now. Instead of saying, don't run from the grind. You don't think you can make it pro from an HBCU. You need to stay here and, and the grass isn't always growing on the other side. Instead of saying that dumb-ish, because we all knew by saying that, um, whenever Prime decided to do the same stuff that Lane entertained and actually didn't do, he would look like a blatant hypocrite. As Prime's PR guy, I would have said, Fam use Willie Simmons is a great coach and does an amazing job with exposing his kids and preparing them. I pray Isaiah Land changes his mind and goes back to Fam U because he has a great support system around him at that school. He just says that as the conversation right there in the comment section. He would have been fine, but instead he put his own foot in his mouth and now he looks like a fraud. And that's what I called him out on. On that post, in that same comment section, that same day, on my independent Intel podcast profile, I was like, yo, Prime, you can't tell a grown man what to do because if the role was flipped back on you, you wouldn't like the same energy done to you. And we all know when you get the powerful job of your genes, you're out of here. And you want people to accept and respect your decision. You know what Prime's response was? Some foolishness I can't remember because it was of no substance and value. Like, he knew he got sunned by me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm trying to pat myself on the back. He know he got put in his place by showcasing the blatant hypocrisy of the situation. So his response was some weird one phrase terminology that I'm like, dude, what are you even saying? I'm too smart to understand this. And you too dumb to understand and you too dumb to say this back. So that that that's that's where I'm at with it, my boy. With Prime. Should have been Prime's PR guy, man. I really should be a lot of these celebrities PR guy because a lot of the stuff that these guys be saying, I'm like, dude, if you had somebody in your team that told you don't put that out or don't say that, instead say this, would have saved people a lot of public embarrassment. Now, Here's the big topic I really want to talk about. This is the segment of the conversation that I feel has really irked me the past week. And I don't think people understand the complexity of the narrative that they're pushing. Because if they did, they wouldn't push it this way. Instead, they will let the professionals that know what they're talking about pick up the conversation, drop it down for the whole world to see by listening to in-depth dilemmas that face the overall premise of the conversation and how we could potentially resolve them. So what was my reaction to the media and other black celebrities pushing a false narrative that Dion accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish for HBCUs at Jackson State University? So I'm going to be honest. 
a lot of guys that are pushing this falsified narrative, they don't have an emotional tie to HBCUs like other grads, such as myself, or even people that just grew up around historically black colleges and institutions. Because like I said before, before I dive into this segment after, if they did, they wouldn't look at Dion's two and a half year stint at JSU as a success in terms of bringing HBCUs back to national prominence and respectability. Now, it's a success in terms of the football program. It's a success in terms of bringing Jackson, Mississippi economical revenue. Because when me and my wife went down there um, for 2021 homecoming and we left and we were in the Uber and this white lady was driving us back to the hotel, she talked about how the city's never been this flooded. The city's never had this much money in fanfare. And that's because of Dion. And she was eternally grateful for that because that's putting money in her pockets. And I know she's not the only one that is. Prime brought a lot of revenue and money to the school because of who he is, how talented that team was, and the amount of celebrities and connects he brought along with him. That's undeniable. But that's also very specific to one place, Jackson. That's also very specific to one place, Jackson State, the institution he worked for. So his presence within the program brought notoriety and prominence to the team he works for and also money to the city he also works in. That shouldn't be that surprising. It deserves props. It deserves appreciation. But it doesn't deserve the level of hyperbole that it advanced where it got to a point where people were saying, well, prom raised awareness to all HBCUs. So at first, I'm not going to lie. And I've been saying this since he got the gig and he was doing this thing with Jackson. Thing. I kept saying to a lot of people, he's not bringing awareness to HBCUs. And you had a lot of HBCU people try to provide a rebuttal to my statement by saying, yo, he wanted to give back to all corn state because they didn't have, I think at the time, uh, think, what do you call those things in the, they didn't have medical utensils for their athletes. And they, I don't think they had a bench that allowed the players to kind of lie down and, you know, get the requisite checkups they needed to check on injuries and whatnot. And so he offered to provide his salary to, remediate that situation Alcorn didn't accept that's not Dion's job to do that it's cool that he desired to reach out and you know help a friend in need and Fred McNair but Alcorn didn't accept it so in reality didn't really help him like you can offer but if they don't take what you're offering then you didn't help him you can say I I I, I proposition but for the proposition to become a valuable resource of help the other factor has to be gracious enough to accept what you're offering so that didn't happen. Um, and as much as all these other programs were on TV when they played Jackson State, uh, I don't hear anybody talking about those programs in a awareness factor. Like, I don't hear anybody be like, yo, thanks to Dion, I learned about Mississippi Valley and that Jerry Rice played there. Um, thanks to Dion, I learned about FAMU and how this was their first two seasons in the SWAC because they formerly were in the MEAC conference, which is the other HBCU football conference in the FCS. Because of Dion, I learned about Alabama State and that they are one of the, that they are the highest, that they have, rather, the highest athletic budget in the SWAC, which is why they have one of the more beautiful facilities in the SWAC. No, he didn't do any of that. Instead, he focused on his program, 
highlighted his players within his program. And because of that and the connects that he has, ESPN and other major media conglomerates such as ABC, CBS, they gave him that spotlight to recognize and emphasize what he's doing for the program he works for. That's not raising awareness to anybody else. Because if it was raising awareness to anybody else, then people would, since the departure of Deion Sanders, confidently enlist and say all the other conference teams in the SWAT. Y'all should know them now. Because Deion was in the SWAT for about two years. Now, he didn't play Arkansas Pine Bluff. He didn't play them. Um, but if I recall, he played everybody else in the in the SWAC. He played everybody else for two and a half years. He played everybody else in the SWAC. And by because he's raising awareness, you should be able to remember and know all those programs in the SWAC. And maybe potentially at least one or two players during that spin that were really balling hard for their HBCU football institution. You should. And since people can't, you're proving my point that the fact or the premise that he raised this Paramount awareness to HBCU football and HBCU institutions overall is big cap. It's cap. No else was the second most successful HBCU football program this season, not named Jackson State. I'm going to give you a hint. They're not in D1 football, not at the FBS or FCS level. It was Benedict College. Benedict College was a top overall seed in the FCS. Not in the FCS. I just said they weren't in the FCS. Then I just said they were in the FCS. Look at me tripping. One of the top football teams in D2. They got a bye in a home playoff game as an 11-0 team. They lost, so they finished the year with 11-1, disappointing season. But they were the second most impressive HBCU football program this season, and they got no national media attention. If Dion's raising awareness to all HBCUs, they, sh- they would have got attention during his time there. And they didn't. Now, guess what? That's not Dion's job to raise awareness for all HBCUs. Just, now, he said that was his goal, and he failed royally at it because he really just focused on, you know, his team and then with his team in victory. And since he won a lot, um, you know, that's what he does. And then when they did lose, he really didn't give the opposition its due. I remember when South Carolina State beat the brakes off of them. In the conference, um, in the celebration bowl last year, uh, he gave respect to Kobe Durant by saying he's a pro, but he didn't shout out my guy Shaq at receiver. He didn't give Corey Fields his love for turning it around in the second half. He didn't give none of those players, none of the, he didn't give Buddy, he didn't give none of that team their due. It was the narrative his team was pushing, and then what the fan base pushed after. Oh, he wasn't ready. He basically disrespecting your HBCU competition. Man, look. I, you know, I talked to Bomani Jones about this on the side. I think people get confused the difference between um, awareness and uh, dang, it was a great quote by Bomani. It was awareness and uh, it's another A word. I, I but I'm gonna sum sum it up like this since I can't remember the exact quote. I think people have have a prop in this era of society. Individuals use terminologies really wrong, very incorrectly. So when I hear the term awareness, I'm thinking um, somebody's actions impacted you to fully understand the conversation that's being brought to you. That That's true awareness. All right. A guy being a part of HBCU football that you like 
that you see consecutively on TV. Just because you're aware of his presence doesn't automatically make you aware of everybody else he's competing against. And since he's not doing a very good job of letting you know who he's competing against, he's letting you know who he who he's friends with. He's friends with McNair. He's friends with Simmons. He's friends with Dancy. But he's not talking to you about the players on his team that are good. He's not talking about the program as a whole and what they brought to the table historically. He's not giving you that historical factoid and current day update. Then how is he raising awareness? How? You got to do all those things to raise awareness. And if you're not, then you ain't aware of nothing. So that's my thing. Now, HBCUs. Um, listen, to bring HBCUs back to national prominence, you got to resolve the biggest issue within HBCU institutions, which is state funding and a consistent alumni investment. Now, um, when I heard the national media say Dion Dildy is supposed to do issue for all HBCUs in two and a half years, I'm like, no, he didn't. Because a lot of these, and, and, and after saying such a thing, they're like, now it's up to them to sustain it moving forward. That's damn near impossible when a lot of these institutions are severely underfunded by the state. So Forbes did a article talking about the years upon years of underfunded institutions within HBCU society that have been neglected over decades upon decades. Forbes did this piece to, and this year, this, this year, early on this year, I might add, second month, and got a little excerpt in front of me. I'm going to read it to kind of. Let everybody understand the immense atrocities that are amongst HBCUs that you can't just resolve in two and a half years because this stuff right here is very systemic. Between 1987, which is when they started to, you know, get all the data, um, and 2020, 18 black schools were underfunded by an aggregate of $12.8 billion adjusted for inflation. Over those 33 years, Tennessee State University received $1.9 billion less than it should have had it been funded on the same per student level as the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. But the worst school that's off is North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, NCAT, in Greensboro, founded in 1891. Since 1987, it has been underfunded by an inflation-adjusted total of $2.8 billion. It's not uniformly bad news. You got schools in two states, such as Delaware and Ohio, who are not all underfunded. But if you look at the top five schools... On this Forbes list that they did study-wise, all five of them are underfunded by a billion dollars, and four of those are state-funded schools. How are you going to get on HBCUs for not having the requisite funding if a lot of these schools are state-funded and their state governments aren't putting the proper funding within them for them to grow and evolve naturally like normal state PWI, no, I'm saying normal, that's way to draw. like other PWI schools get. How? It's kind of like, yo, you got to pick yourselves up over your bootstraps and figure it out in this American capitalistic society. But you're telling that to a very rundown poor community that not only doesn't have the funding to have these people be successful, doesn't have the resources, productive resources that I might add, but instead it's a desert full of drugs, full of weaponry, full of violence, full of abuse. But you're like, yeah, yeah, just figure it out, bro. I mean, just figure it out, you know? Because um, such and such was here um, 10 years ago, and he made it out. So, so you guys can, everybody isn't built the same because a lot of people rely on certain resources to get to where they need to go. If you give all people, I'm just, I'm bringing it to a general sense society-wise. 
if you give all of society the same amount of resources that guys who were born with investments, born into a rich family structure, if you give them the same resources that they've got just off of being born into it, the world will be a lot better place. And I think you see a lot more successful institutions, people, and a society overall. But that's intentional. And so when I see the national media have this conversation about, yo, Dion cured all the HBCU elements in two and a half years, you can't because a lot of these issues are systemic. A lot of these issues go beyond Dion. A lot of these issues Dion saw firsthand, and he's crying about the water crisis in Jackson. As much clout and power he has, he could barely turn the water back on for a substantial period of time. And it's back on, but Jackson's had a water problem for years on par with Flint. It just got noticed and talked about on national media national media because Dion was there. But I remember going to Jackson State and we had water problems during my tenure year from 2016 to 2020. That stuff never disappears. This this is the stuff we're talking about. Systemic issues that are orchestrated and co-founded by the governing bodies that you, that we live in statewide. And a lot of people want to talk about the leadership up top at HBCUs. These institutions have black leaders within them for the most part that continue the cycle of corruptness well who puts these individuals in place to continue to corrupt leadership at these programs state governing boards so at the end of the day it's a state issue if a lot of these state funded hbcus continue to waddle while i won't say waddle wallow in systemic misery for decades upon decades that's not something you can automatically with the snap of your fingers fix that's going to take years that's going to take time energy impact imploring all of those things laws legislation that Deion sanders if we're going to be honest he's one man he can't do by himself which is why him vowing he was going to do it by himself was asinine and a pipe dream but if we really want to have a conversation about um how can hbcus be in a better place going forward let's let the experts talk about the dilemmas that these institutions face systemically that won't be resolved during a presidential term that can't be resolved by a coach playing by a coach doing his job as a leader of a football program so that's real that's really real. and that's why i didn't appreciate um these media conglomerates talking on HBCU names like they know the struggles that these people go through, that these institutions go through. They don't. They don't. But if you want to have a conversation about it, let the experts do their job and talk about it or do the research on how nuanced it is to where when it is talked about within your sec- within your media sectors by people who don't know what they're talking about, you can interject and be like, whoa, bro, whoa, whoa. It ain't easy as one, two, three. It's more like the arithmetic. It's more like geometry. It's more like trigonometry. More so than simple addition and subtraction. Final aspect I want to tap into before we wrap this up. Who will turn out the biggest long-term winner from both parties following the departure? Jackson State or Dion? So, I'm going to be honest. uh, The unpopular opinion that I have is time will tell. Uh, that's that's what my guy Ace loves to say when he be on the segments when he's like, oh, I can't really put my finger to it. So time will tell when it comes to these enhanced uh, questions and conversations. But I think I got to be honest. Um, Dion should have the most success out of the two long term. 
um, as long as he's coaching at Colorado because he's so far accumulated a demigod squad coaching staff-wise. He's going to be hitting the ground running on the recruiting trail. He's already talked about that's what he's going to do after the celebration, bro. He's going to surround his guy Shador with a perfect offensive system, with perfect weaponry and solid offensive line block. He's going to do all of that. He's going to do all of that. All right, so it should be him. But that being said, next year, the Pac-12 is going to be sustainable. Um, I, I think a lot of people thought, well, next year USC and UCLA was going to move on to the Big Ten, but that's not the case. The Pac-12 is going to stay being the traditional Pac-12 for one more year. So next year, Dion's going to have to play USC, UCLA, Utah, Washington, Washington State, alongside out-of-conference games such as the season opener at TCU. And then the following week, you're playing Nebraska at home. So he's going to have to have those conversations, you know. Um, conversations, crazy. He's going to have to have to go through that gauntlet to be successful. But I believe the amount of talent he's going to bring in and the coaching step he has, I have a requirement and an expectation that he finishes at least in the top four in the Pac-12. Just give me the top four, bro. Don't have to win the conference. Don't have to go to the Rose Bowl. but be top four, be eight and four, be nine and three, and guys can build from there and say, yo, we got something cooking with Prime. We can move forward as a program of relevancy in Colorado. And a lot of people at Colorado have said their expectations are already minuscule because they were one and 11 this past year. They've had one winning season since they moved to the Pac-12. And then I just said in that season, they didn't win a bowl game. If they are eight and four, Nine and three, and they win a bowl game. That's the most successful Colorado football season um, since the early 2000s. <laughs> I mean, like, off of it. So, this is why Dion took this job um, full control, uh, unknown floor, but a very high ceiling. He's in the driver's seat. If he cooks up any type of magic, it will give. The football programs, boosters, and their fan base, a huge sense of enlightenment and excitement going forward, and also open the door to whatever potential power five job that he truly wants down the line. If for two years he's eight and four, nine and three at Colorado, that's the type of record improvement he shows. There's going to be a team in the SEC that'll offer him, and he'll get the coach in that conference and build a monster from there. Like it's the possibilities are endless for Dion to be, I think, the biggest winner out of the departure for both parties. But it could also get really ugly really fast. But I'm not going to do that to Prime in this regard because I do have faith in the recruiting class he can bring to the table and the coaching staff he's going to have surrounded surrounding him to make sure to get the best out of his football program. So I expect that. Now, Jackson State is an intriguing um sector in this conversation in terms of who can be the biggest winner long term uh they got to find a coach and what i saw online is recently they have the coach that they want so i'm assuming after the celebration bowl when Dion dips um and i'm gonna have a little soundbite about that moving forward before i really wrap up this segment because i I got a bone to pick with that but i'm pretty sure after the, the celebration bowl they're gonna segue in their new football coach once they get that guy their goal needs to be focused on being one of the first FCS HBCU programs is going FBS because I just saw in the FCS there is a little super conference that's being made next year 
who full of, I'm going to be honest, mid-tier FCS teams whose goal is to go FBS. And since that's now the culture now in FCS, whole bunch of FCS programs now seeing James Madison, Sam Houston State make the jump. They're like, we want to make the jump too to the FBS. I think that needs to be about one or two FCS HBCU programs, same mentalities, and why not Jackson State? All right. If you want to have a legacy that lasts a lifetime, lifetime beyond what Dion was able to procreate, you need to get you a coaching that's going to build a foundation for the next decade and a half designed to go FBS. But in order to do that, you're going to have to get a coaching that's about football. It's about recruiting the talent that's in the Jackson City area. It's about recruiting the talent within that Southern belt designed to come in and win the SWAC consistently and also win consistently in out-of-conference FCS games. The only way you're going to be able to move up is you got to dominate in your conference and you got to at least be a consistent competitive factor against FCS opponents. That needs to be A.D. Ashley Robinson's goal long-term. That needs to be Jackson State's football program's long-term goal. Be one of the first HBCU FCS programs to go FBS. To do that, you got to hire a football coach that's about building a foundation for the next 10 to 15 years. And he might not stay 10 to 15 years, but I'll say he'll stay longer than Neon. I can see him staying four to five. And then when he's gone, put somebody else in there that can keep the train rolling. I don't think Deion Sanders during his two-year stint there positioned this program to compete FBS. I don't. I think he positioned this program to be as nationally appealing as possible so he can get the FBS job of his dreams at the expense of what the program potentially can be on their own. But that next coach, he can push for that. And then I think he can have a long-lasting legacy impact that supersedes what Dion did in two and a half years to where he'll be positively revered in the HBCU community. So I think that's really a long-term long-term goal JSU should have to potentially be the party that comes out victorious over Dion. So that's my little imprint there. Now, before I wrap this podcast up, I got a bone to pick with my alma mater, Jackson State, and also with Deion Sanders. The JSU. You flubbed up, man. You flubbed up, and here's why. Um, you let this man, Deion Sanders, entertain Colorado. I mean, look, you can't stop him from entertaining FBS offers. I mean, he's a grown man. He can do what he wants. That's not in your right to say, no, man, you can't entertain these jobs. He could do that. But he got the Colorado gig, and after the SWAC championship, he didn't talk to the media. He was in a rush to be off the stage for the SWAC award ceremony when they won. He was like, hurry this up. I got somewhere to be. I got a plan to catch to get the border to be a part of their press conference as they introduced me as their new head coach going forward. After he did that press conference, first of all, after he showed up to City, right, during a celebratious moment, where the football program went back-to-back at SWAT champions to help complete a 12-0 season that they've never had, right? He leaves and is sworn in as the new Colorado football coach. And in that process, bigs up older at the expense of crapping on Jackson. After all that circus fiasco, as soon as he comes back to Jackson, talking like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to finish the uh, celebration bowl, right? And then I'm going to leave. A.D. Robinson goes up to him and says, Dion, you've been relieved of your duties. It's been fun. And if Dion throws a hissy fit and says, y'all can't do me like that. I, I built this. 
gonna bring Shador with me if y'all won't let me coach. You say, by all means, bring your son with you because you're no longer a coworker for us. I have never seen any coach at the collegiate level when they're entertaining another job, right? Say they're gonna take the job to their team and then leave the team behind to get sworn in as the official head coach for the program, all decked out in that new team's gear, then to just come back and coach the old team in their gear and say, yo, yo, we're gonna, I'm gonna finish what we started. No, bro. That finish what you started stuff went out the window when you left us high and dry during our celebration. Wouldn't even let us celebrate all good. You know what I'm saying? With the fans. You told us to hurry up back to the to the to the meeting room so you could tell us you're gonna dip on us. Then you went to Colorado smiling and Kiki and they face with their new gear with your son, Shador. Now you want to come back and say, yo, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, and play football for you? There's no way. And I've heard rants about how, when I say rants, but I've heard commentary about how the president doesn't want Dion coaching the school, coaching the program anymore. And I don't, you know, mind him not wanting that because of what Dion's currently doing. He's playing, he's dipping his toe into two worlds where no coach has ever done that. Um, the guy that's coaching Incarnate World, he got the Texas State job. He isn't he never touched foot on Texas State's campus because he's got a playoff game to win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there's incarnate words still in the FCS playoffs. Scott Frost, when he took the Nebraska job, still coached UCF in the Peach Bowl before he ever touched foot on Nebraska's campus to be sworn in as the official coach. No other white FBS coach has ever done some goofy stuff like this. But Dion's able to get away with it because he's got Jackson State at his will. Like, you're in depth to me because I rebuilt you guys. There's nothing you can tell me to dissuade me from finishing what I started. And then Colorado can't really tell him nothing. And Colorado's not really being at the expense of this anyway because he's joining them. So Colorado's like, yeah, man, you, you can do whatever because uh, <laughs> the football program's in your palms. Do whatever. Jackson State had every opportunity to put their foot down and be like, Dion. You're done. You made it official. You're Colorado's coach. You're not a part of us anymore, bro. We'll have T.C. Taylor be the interim. We'll have um, quarterback Grayson be single caller one. And, hey, if we get our butt beat against North Carolina a and not why, why I'm doing what uh, A.D. Robinson did. Call them boys NCAT when it's NCCU. And if we get our butt beat against Central, then so, I mean, hey, on some pride stuff, that's how we're going to do. But you're letting this man play two sides of the fence. He's smiling and kikiing um, during prep week as we head to the Celebration Bowl instead of him being at the Celebration Bowl press conference. His assistant coach has to be there alongside Trey Oliver, the head coach of North Carolina Central. You see how unserious Dion is taking this process, and Jackson State is letting him get away with it because they feel in-depth to let him finish what he started because... He wants his name etched in history, but he doesn't have the self-respect to do it the right way. Look, JSU has plenty of time, starting today, moving forward, to cut the cord on this guy and say, nah, man, we're going to fast start our rebuild by making sure the interim is a part of this. Because already, T.C. Taylor is a part of the recruiting trail now at Jackson State. He's on a recruiting trail now since Dion's gone. We're going to let T.C. do this, and we're going to let you go about your merry way since you rock with Colorado. And guess what? The public will be cool with it because... No one does what he's doing. They would be perfectly fine 
if you cut the cord on Dion coaching the Celebration Bowl. But Dion's going to coach the Celebration Bowl. Shador's going to be quarterbacking for him. And it should be a very good matchup. NCCU, in my opinion, is the best football team Dion has faced his whole time there at Jackson State. It's the best team he's faced. Just this. Most complete team he's faced. And these boys are not ready. That institution isn't ready. From, from leadership to the football program, they're not ready. They're not ready to play football. I know they're not. They mind ain't in it. They coach one place. They quarterback another place. Their AD isn't calling the opposition that they're playing their right, correct government name as an institution. These boys ain't ready. And once Dion goes 0-2 in the HBCU National Championship, a fair question I will present on Twitter to be messy, but I think it's fair. Did Dion accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish? Dominance at the HBCU level. You ain't dominant if you go 0-2 in the HBCU National Championship. Awareness to HBCUs. You're not really raising awareness if all we know is Jackson State and nobody else. Only thing he probably delivered on, and he really didn't promise on delivering it, and I'm not really going to give him I'm going to give him his praise, but he doesn't get Mother Teresa type praise for, I don't know, working for the school and giving back to the school you work for. A lot of people do that who aren't you, and they've been doing it for years upon years upon years. Did he deliver on his football promises? No, he didn't. And the legacy of Dion when he leaves Jackson State He'll be a swag legend. I, I don't even want to say a swag legend because he wasn't there long enough. His imprint on swag dominance will be equivalent to Jay Hobson, two swag championships. But like Hobson, Jay Hobson, you didn't win the HBCU National Championship, bro. You didn't do it. So you're just like every other swag coach, bro. Dominate the swag, but can't win the HBCU natty. So how dominant were you? At that level. I'll just keep it there. Look, man, it was a great episode. Episode 58. Had to hold it down for the cause, for the people, for the community. Um, This is going to be out today. Um, I'm going to promote the heck out of this. I'm going to send this to a lot of people. I think it's a conversation that does need to be had. Um, And moving forward, um, for HBCUs, don't expect a celebrity to come in. And say this save you from the systemicness that you've been facing for years. That's gonna take ground roots effort by a community as a whole, not by one artificial human being in it for himself. That's real. But without further ado, this your man KB. I'm gonna holler at you guys next time. Say goodbye.